0: Let us pray. Praise be to the name of our God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are His. He changes times and seasons. He disposes kings and raises others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. Father, these are your words to us from the book of Daniel. And Father, we pray that as we come to you this morning to once again listen to your words. Father, we praise you because you are the God who changes times and seasons. You're the God for all eternity, and no one can ever challenge your reign. And so, Father, as we come humbly to your word this morning, we pray that you will again take your words and speak to us, speak to our hearts, that our lives once again know, that our hearts and our minds once again know that The things of this world do not determine our destiny, but it is You. You are the one who changes and sets the times. Grant us wisdom, Lord God, to submit to You as we listen to Your Word. Amen. It was January 25th, 1736, there was a young Anglican priest by the name of John Wesley who was travelling aboard from England into the, into the New World, to Savannah, Georgia. Wesley had just been appointed the new pastor in Savannah, Georgia. As Wesley was on board this ship heading off to the Newlands, that morning, a Sunday morning, it was raining cats and dogs. The sea was as rough as a dinosaur's back, and the waves had already split the main sails of the ship. The waters had already covered the decks and the crew were all running around, frantically trying to escape the storm. And you could hear the people, the passengers, screaming and crying as if death was at their doorstep in a minute's time. But as everything was in a chaos, John Wesley realized that there was a group of Germans known as the Moravians who were utterly calm. In fact, they were stationed on one side of the ship, and together they were standing in unity, singing hymns to God. After all, it was a Sunday morning. Wesley himself admits in his own journal that he was afraid. An ordained minister of the Anglican Church was afraid, but not these non-English-speaking Moravians. Wesley knew a little bit of German enough to converse with these Moravians. And he asked them, aren't you afraid of the storms? Aren't your women and your children afraid? One of the Moravians simply replied mildly, no, our children and our women are not afraid. We trust in God. That incident so puzzled Wesley and so shook up Wesley, more than the storm itself, that Wesley was determined to want to know the kind of faith the Moravians had, something that he did not have. He wanted to know the secret behind the courage and the faith of these Moravians. When I read the book of Daniel, Daniel fascinates me too. He amazes me. On one hand, I'm impressed by Daniel. As Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, he was praying and giving thanks to God. How could a man have such courageous faith? On the other hand, I'm also very puzzled by Daniel. I mean, he knew that the people was trying to trap him and sent him into the lion's den, but yet he went upstairs into his room, opened the windows to pray. Was Daniel a show off despite the, his faith. Why did he do that? Daniel puzzles me. And like Wesley, I want to know the secret behind Daniel's courage and his uh, bewildering actions. So this is why we have Daniel chapters 7 to 12. Daniel 7 to 12 are given to us because they reveal to us something that is very important in the book of Daniel. And that's the secret behind Daniel's faith and actions. I have a friend who just been to a seminar retreat weekend where this preacher preached on the book of Daniel. And he told me that the preacher preached through all the chapters of the book of Daniel except Daniel's chapter 7 nine are the most difficult parts of the book of Daniel. And I thought to myself, if we were to skip chapters 7 to 12, it will be an easy thing. But what will we miss out? If these chapters were taken out of the scripture, how would we be more impoverished? I think we will be very impoverished because Daniel's chapter 7 to 12 is at the heart of the book. It reveals to us the secret behind Daniel's faith and actions. Without these chapters, we'll be like seeing Superman in his glorious power and not knowing why he was so powerful. Without these chapters, we'll be like eating a chef's meal and, and being fascinated by what he could cook, but not knowing the secret of how he cooked it. So I want to know. So that's why we're here to know the secret behind Daniel's courage and actions. So, number one, let's look at the secret behind Daniel's courage. Why was Daniel so courageous throughout the book? I mean, he defiled the king's order not to eat the king's meals. He, uh, he defiled the, the king's orders uh, uh, and still continued praying to God despite he was not supposed to do that. What was behind this courage? The answer lies here in Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7, to put it in context, happened in the, in the, year, in the first year of King Belshazzar. The Bible tells us that Daniel had a dream. In this dream, he had a vision and this vision he was he saw one nation rising after another out of the sea the sea in this in the bible often depicts chaos so out of chaos came four kings out of uh, uh, out of chaos and the first king was Nebuchadnezzar king of babylon there are two things that are very common about these four successive kings that come out of the sea two things number one they are represented by animals. All the, kings, all the four kings here are represented by animals. And second, uh, the first animal, for instance, is the, uh, uh, rep, uh, that represents the, the Babylonian king was a lion. The second was a bear. The third was a leopard. And the fourth was too terrifying to describe, but it was still a beast. So all these uh, beasts, all these kings were represented by animals. And the second commonality between these four beasts is that they are disgruntled animals. Have you noticed? They were not content to be just animals. Look with me at verse 4. The first was a lion, but had wings of an eagle. I watched it until its wings were being torn off and lifted from the ground. So it stood on its feet like a human being, and the mind of the human being was given to it. The lion was kind of schizophrenic. It was not content to be a lion, wants to be an eagle, and later on it wants to be a human. Even the foul-mouthed little horn, in verse 9, also had the eyes of human beings and spoke boastfully. What is God saying here? These kings, in God's eyes, are nothing but animals. But these animals are not content to be animals themselves. They want to be human beings, but they cannot be human beings soon as he wants to be human beings, God strikes them down. They're disgranted human beings. And they try to show off their pride. They try to be more than just an animal. They try to boost themselves up with their own power to be something that they are not. It's just like the story of... Uh, of uh, three men who were sitting together in a park one day, trying to brag about themselves, trying to puff themselves up and try to look good than what they uh, they were. So one man said, "You know, I just got a job at the cruise ship, and now I've got ten people working for me." "Oh, that's nothing," the second man replied. "I've been promoted at the refinery, and now I've got fifty people working for me." And the third man, unwilling to lose face, but yet still wants to puff himself up, bragged and said, Oh yeah, I've got 300 men working under me. What are you talking about? You mow the lawn all day. How can you have 300 men working under you? Well, the third man retorted, Now I'm mowing the lawn of the cemetery, and I have 300 men under me. The king The kings, the four kings, in God's eyes are just animals. But they're disgruntled animals, they're trying to outbrag themselves to be something better. But yet in God's eyes, they are animals. And why are they just animals? Because animals are supposed, according to the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verses 26 and 28, are are supposed to be ruled by human beings. What's God trying to tell Daniel here? Don't be afraid of these kings. They may be appear stronger in your eyes than anything in this world, but they're just disgruntled animals. They try to reign over human beings, but don't give them that power because they try to be humans, but they are not. You are a human being, You should have dominion over them and not let them terrify you. And I think that's the secret of Daniel's courage right throughout the book. That he could defile the king's order. That he could still pray despite the lion's den waiting for him. Why? Because in God's eyes, Daniel was a human being. And all these kings were just animals. Animals under the care of human beings. What does this have to say to us? Do not let the circumstances of this life, the pressures of human being, the pressures of money, the pressures of success, the pressures of family rule over us to such an extent that they control us. God never created you to be an animal. You are created to be a human being. You're given dominion, according to Genesis 1, 28, dominion over the animal world. Be kind to yourself. As Andrew Peterson, the songwriter, writes, Be kind. We need to be kind to ourselves. Don't let alcohol, don't let family, don't let your pressures of work, don't let money control you. You are not meant to be controlled by these things. Live as a child of God in dominion over the things of the animal kingdom. And that's what God is trying to tell us. And that's why, that's why uh, Daniel was so courageous throughout the book. So it explains Daniel's courage, but does not explain the actions of Daniel, the meaning of Daniel's actions. While the beasts were rivaling for power, all these four kings, Babylon and the kingdoms after Babylon, were rivaling for power. one trying to outdo another, one trying to be dis- as disgruntled uh, as the other. What was Daniel doing? In chapters, chapter 2, verse 49, we are told that Daniel asked the king to send his three friends all over the province of Babylon. Then in chapter 6, verse 10, when Daniel realized that people were about to throw him Into the lion's den, Daniel opened his window and he prayed. What was Daniel doing? Daniel was simply building the kingdom of God. He as soon as he got the chance he sent his three friends to govern the provinces of Babylon wow, to spread God's reign to tell the people across the provinces of Babylon that there is a God and God reigns Daniel was building kingdom of God through his friends. What was Daniel doing when he was praying, when there was persecution all around him? Daniel was building the kingdom of God in the midst of his persecution, telling the people who persecute him that there is a God much greater than you and he reigns. He was building the kingdom of God. Where did Daniel get the idea of building the kingdom of God? Note with me at verse 6. While these animals were trying to fight each other for power, verse 6 tells us, As I look, thrones were being set in place, and the Ancient of Days took its seat. While these things were happening, God was building up, setting up thrones. And that was what Daniel was doing, setting up thrones so that God can take his seat on the earth. By praying God, what well, Daniel was setting up God's throne by setting up his friends to govern the world, to show that there is a God who reigns. He was setting up thrones in the provinces of Babylon to show the entire kingdom that God reigns. So if these earthly kings are beasts, what kind of a king is God? We're told here at verse 6 that God is called the Ancient of Days. Literally, it means God is a very old man. And this ancient of days, this very old man, took his seat as his throne has been set up. He took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, and the hair of his head was white like wool. God here is pictured as a very old man with white hair and white dress. There are many worship songs that exalt God. Yes, worship songs exalt God as the King of Kings. Worship songs exalt God as the Mighty Fortress. Our God. Worship songs that speak about God as a good, good Father. But I've yet to hear a worship song that exalts God as a very old man with white hair. Why? In our culture, white hair is often associated with what weaknesses of of weakness. If you have white hair, it means you're old and decrepit, right? This is why we're afraid of white hair. We're afraid of gray hair. And that's why if you go to any supermarket like Woolies or Coles or Aldi's, what do you find? You'll find rows and rows of hair coloring kit. Many of us are afraid of white and gray hair. So as soon as we see some gray hair, we color our hair we dye our hair we are obsessed with hair color so to say that god is old a very old man doesn't bring any sense of positiveness in our hearts and in our perception but in the book of daniel to say that god is a very old man is a very powerful thing what does it mean to say that god is the ancient of days or literally a very oh man. It means that God's in control of time. In the book of Daniel, all the kings try to gain control of time. Right from chapter 1, we read of King Nebuchadnezzar trying to control, trying to set times for his wise men, how his kingdom will function. King Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 1 says that, okay, the wise men need to be trained and we are given three years for them to be trained. He's trying to Set time. The king wants to control time. King, in chapter 6, we can't read of King Darius. How did the people call King Darius? Two times we read in chapter 6. May King Darius live forever. King Darius wants to control time. He wants to live forever. But the sad truth is that the kings may think that they control time, but they don't. King Nebuchadnezzar, what happened to him? Went mad at the height of his career in chapter 5. King Belshazzar, at the end of chapter 6, was killed in a single night. King Darius, who wants to live forever, obviously did not live forever. What does God say here? God outlives the kings. God controls time. God lives longer than the king. King Darius may want to live forever, but he will not get his wish. But God lives forever. And the white hair on his head shows that God lasts from all eternity, from one, from one side of eternity to the other side. And, and God reigns forever. He has full control of time. So to say that God's a very old man with white hair is a very powerful and a very positive thing to say about God. It says that God controls time and God outlasts all these beasts. He is, after all, the Ancient of Days. Though God is depicted as an old man here, he's not decrepit. Look with me at verse 9. Though God was an old man sitting on this throne, but look at this throne itself. The throne was flaming with fire because it was metering out judgment against these kings. But the throne also had wheels that were placed. God was not at all an immobile God that needs a wheelchair or a walking stick to move around. But God moves quickly. He travels on wheels. And what does God do? Not only will God silence the kings, but God will set up his own kingdom. As Daniel has been setting up thrones for God, God Himself will set up His kingdom. Who will God set up? How will God set up His throne? His kingdom. Verse thirteen: In my vision at night, I look, and there before me was one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into His presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And His kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. God will set up His King through the Son of Man. And we know through the New Testament use of the, of Daniel chapter 7 that the Son of Man is Jesus Christ Himself. That God will set up His kingdom Through the Son of Man. But how will the Son of Man come to set up his kingdom? He will come down, what? Coming down with the clouds of heaven. Is that significant? In the light of this vision, we begin to understand Daniel's actions a little bit more. Remember when Daniel in chapter 6 knew that the people were trying to trap him and trying to put him into the lion's den so that he would be eaten by the lions. What was Daniel's first reaction? He got up to his room on the upper level and he opened his windows and looked, and then he got on his knees and he prayed. I used to think that Daniel was a show off. He was trying to say to the people, Look, my faith is so strong, they're not scared of anything. But I think after reading chapter 7, I don't think he was trying to show up. Why did Daniel open the windows? He opened the windows so that he could see the clouds, the sky. Because God has promised, God has promised Daniel that he will set up his kingdom. Even in the midst of the persecution, God will set up his kingdom. And God will come through his son from the clouds. I think Daniel opened his window. Because he remembered God's promise that God will come in the clouds even though he was persecuted, even though he was a laughingstock, even though he was alone, even though he was lonely, even though he knew that he was about to face the jaws and the claws of the lion, He knew that somehow in God's sovereignty, God would appear through the clouds just as he saw in the vision that the Son of Man would come into the clouds and save. It was not a show-off that Daniel was doing. But Daniel was looking to the Son of Man for his salvation. Was looking to the Son of Man to save him from his predicament. And that's why he bent down on his knees and prayed for the Son of Man to save him. And the Son of Man did come and shut the mouths of the lie, because the Son of Man is our ultimate Savior. So let's bring this message to bear on our lives. What can we learn from chapter 7 of Daniel? Let me sum it up in four points. Number one God is the Lord, and there is no one else. We shouldn't let anyone lord over us except God Himself. Do not let alcohol, do not let the pressures of work, do not let your family, do not let your parents lord over you. You are a child of God and not the child of these things. Let God be the God. Number two, if God is the Lord of our lives, we are in the business of building his kingdom. We build his kingdom through prayer and through setting up his thrones through evangelism. That's the third point. We build this kingdom through prayer and evangelism. And thirdly, open the windows. When you are faced with persecution, when people oppose you, open your windows and look out. The Son of Man who is Jesus Christ is our Savior. He is our ultimate Savior and our only Savior. Look to him and expect him to come to shut the mouths of the lions. Daniel opened his windows and looked to the clouds because he knew that the Son of Man would come. Look to him and he will surely come. Bibi Warfield was one of evangelical, evangelical world's best minds. He was uh, very influential in his writings, and he was also the principal of Princeton Theological Seminary. What's not very well known about B.B. Warfield is his wife. Many people do not know that B.B. Warfield's wife, Annie, was an invalid. B.B. Warfield, as you may know, and his wife were married, and... Uh, for their honeymoon, they went to Leipzig in Germany for their honeymoon. And during the stay there, Bibi Wafield and his wife Annie decided to do some hiking on the on the uh, in the mountainous area in the Haas Mountains. As they were there in the mountains, there was a, a violent a thunderstorm that happened. And Annie Warfield was suffered uh, some traumatic shock and trauma because of the thunder. Uh, that she experienced in the mountains, and she never really recovered. She was so severely traumatized that she would spend the rest of her life as an invalid. And as time went on, her conditions worsened and worsened. Her husband was the only source of companionship and care until her death in 1915. B.B. Warfield spent. 39 years taking care of his own invalid wife. He did not employ any help, any nursing help to help him. He did not send her to a nursing home. According to most accounts, uh, Dr. Warfield, Dr. B.B. Warfield, spent almost all his time by her side. And whenever he left home to teach, he would only leave for two hours and he would be back to take care of his wife. In fact, there was only one time that he left Princeton for more than two hours and that was to find a cure for his wife, which later failed. He was there for 39 years by her side, never leaving her for more than two hours at each time. Annie, his wife, had nothing to give back to her husband. Due to the condition, they could not become intimate. And as a result, Bibi Wafula and nanny, never had a child. Yet in times when she was lonely, she always knew that in two hours her husband will be back. In times when she was hungry, she knew that in two hours her husband will be back. In times when she needs to get out of the house to breathe some fresh air, she knew that her husband will be back in two hours. She knew that despite her discomfort, she would see her husband's face in two hours. She knew that although she had nothing to offer him, not even a kiss on the cheek because of her condition, her husband yet will come back and he will not be longer than two hours. She knew that in whatever circumstance, her husband will be back within two hours hours because her husband loved her and even though she had nothing to offer him he will still be back likewise that's how we should see Jesus yes there will be times where we will linger in in isolation and waiting for the Lord but we need to know that we look to the clouds he will be back He will be back even though we have nothing to offer Him. Nothing at all because we're invalid. We're invalid because of sin and because of unrighteousness. We have nothing in our hands to bring to Him. But we know that He will still be back. That He will be back. And because He will be back, He will save us from all our sins and all the things that bind us In this world. That one day he will be back. That is the secret. Of Daniel's faith. And actions. And that should be. The secret. Of our faith. And our actions. Father as we come before you. We just want to pause. And we want to thank you. That the Bible does not just present us with testimonies and stories of men and women of great faith, but the Bible also reveals to us the heart and the secret behind these courageous actions of your beloved children. And we thank you that Daniel chapter 7 allows us to catch a glimpse of the secret behind Daniel's actions and courage. So Father, we want to appropriate it for ourselves this morning. Father, we are like any war field. We have nothing to offer you. We are invalids. And so Father, we come humbly before you. nothing in our hands we bring, but to the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ we cling. Father, we just want to cling to Jesus and pray that you again will save us. That's the gospel, isn't it? That there is nothing in our good hands that we can ever bring to you, but by your grace and your mercy, save us. So Father, we come to you. We wait upon you. We know that you will come back for us. You will like how you came back to save Daniel and shut the lion's mouth. So, Father, we just want to pause and thank you that you will one day come back for us and usher us into your arms in your kingdom again. So, Father, for those of us who are afraid, terrified, by the lions around us, by the animals around us who are disgranted and want a piece of us, Father, we again throw our lives at the feet of the cross and ask, Lord Jesus, you save us. You are the Son of Man. You are the perfect human being, full of kindness, mercy, and love, unlike in the animals of this world. You minister to us today. So again, we fall at your feet We pray that you touch us, restore, heal us again in Jesus' name.